Hey, welcome to the Tradies Success Podcast. If you're loving the podcast, we'd love to help you start, scale, or automate your tradie business. We help everyone from startup all the way up to $1 million plus months, and would love to be able to help you too. So click the link in the show notes if you're interested in getting some support and joining an epic community of legends in the academy. We'd also appreciate if you're loving the podcast to leave a review. It helps us reach more people and help more tradies like you run successful businesses. All right, let's get into it. (laughs) All right, welcome to another episode of the Trading Success Academy podcast. Do we know the name of it? Do you remember the name? That is the name of the podcast. (laughs) Trading Business Panel. I am Greg Crow. This is the super coach, Kirk Neal with me. Say howdy, Kirk. Howdy, Kirk. No, sorry, that's me. Yeah, uh, I will say howdy. Uh, hi guys, super excited to have a chat with you guys today. Um, I think uh, we've got a nice little topic around uh, an abundance mindset plan for you guys. So um, it's super critical that you know we keep our head in the right place because it's so easy to get defeated by our own thoughts. And yeah, it's just such a massive component of who you are as a person and who you are as a business owner. Yeah. Uh, so what, what's the first thing that kind of comes to mind with abundance? What are we? What are you thinking? Uh, love to chat around like, you know, I, I, it's actually quite common. I encounter people that have a real true abundance mindset around the work that is available to them. Yeah. Business owners that are out there, they're just like, there is plenty out there. I just got to find the right way to get it. Yeah. And they, they, they never worry about getting busy. And I think there's, there's two sides to that coin. I speak to a lot of guys that are that like, I don't have a problem with getting busy or I, I don't mind it. I can get busy because there's this abundance of work there that I know that, you know, if I put my mind to it, I'll be able to extract it. But then there's other people that are like almost petrified of it. Yeah. They've got a scarcity mindset and they're like, Oh, you know, I, I don't know. How am I going to find enough work to do this? Or how am I going to find enough work to pay the bills? Yeah. And uh, look, you just got to look around. There is so much work out there. And we had an interesting chat just before this um i'm mean, located in byron bay and up here total devastation uh with floods at the moment it's actually heartbreaking and you know on one side you've got the volunteer community going out and actually helping people and on the other side you've got people queuing up to fill their cars with petrol when they don't need it uh they're taking the petrol away from the people that need it and they're also hoarding food so, you know, yeah. you're on Woolworths up here or Coles or somewhere and the shelves are empty with people buying frozen food. Why? Because they've got that scarcity mindset. They've got that fear attached and it's, it's not great, is it? Yeah, it makes you, it reverts back to a very primal component of your, of your brain. Yeah, when, when there's a scarcity uh, of anything, especially a critical source like food, water, uh, your brain goes into survival mode and it goes, oh, I've got to go and act like an animal, yeah, very primal, and, and gather as much stuff as I can to protect me or protect my family and things like that. And it's a, it's a really dangerous place to exist because outside looking in, and I'm sure everyone would have um, experienced or have some perception on this just due to, like, say, COVID. Yeah, we saw panic buying during COVID, people hoarding toilet paper and the likes. So it's not just an isolated incident related with the floods. It's whenever there's a, there's a scarcity involved, you see people turn up and they, pref- they behave very animalistic, very primal. 
And the, the funniest thing is, you know, let, let's take um, my situation up here at the moment. Shelves empty from people buying out of fear or scarcity mentality when all it needed to take was the roads to clear and now petrol is normal and the supermarkets are stocked as per usual. So their fear or scarcity mentality was temperamental. It was gauged on their current circumstance and not out of any kind of vision or not out of um, some kind of almost prosperity. You know, there's so much absolute, let's go, we're going to go three things today. We're going to go into work, into staff and money and how you can have and find abundance in all of these things, in work and in staff and in money. So we're going to start at work, Kirk, and I know you're passionate in and around this. So what does it mean for I guess, you? Work? Just before we dive into work as well, I just want to highlight how, like logic or how illogical that scarcity mindset is, but how easily people fall into it. I'm sure you would have sat back and saw these people panic buying and the logic component in most people's brain is like, hey, we don't need to do that. Yeah, that's a bit like that's over the top. That's actually counterproductive to what we need to be doing. But the people panic buying, they can't see any other way forward. They're like, I have to have this. I need this. Yeah, this is how I need to survive. And I, I guess I'm going to challenge people here listening today is like, maybe you're operating your business in a scarcity mindset and performing acts as if you're hoarding toilet paper or something like that. And you don't really see it because your reality is just what's in front of you. So we want to be able to zoom out and take some perspective here and go, am I truly embracing this abundance mentality? Because that's where the real success comes from. Yeah, 100%. I think uh, anytime there's insecurity, you can pretty much result in a lack of success. And talking Australia specifically, I know there's a trade shortage in the world, but let's go to Australia specifically. There is actually a shortage of tradesmen or tradespeople to deliver the work. And we know that's a fact because the government has is fronting money, basically, for people employing apprentices to raise the amount of tradesmen because there's not enough people to do the work out there so there is so much work out there and there's so much ideal work out there and you get stuck in a non-ideal mindset you might just attract a non-ideal client <laughs> scary times yeah. and it's like that's it's like just go back into that scarcity mindset yeah if um if the shelves are pretty much riddled of all the food and you're in a scarcity mindset and you really hate vegan sausages but that's the only thing there you're going to take it yeah whereas the person with the abundance mindset will go actually i'm probably in the wrong place here let me go and find some nice wagyu steaks somewhere else yeah i'm gonna get some real meat so like in that moment that person is just fixated on getting what's in front of them and that could be a non-ideal client but at that time you feel like that's your only option that's uh really scary and look non-ideal clients are in fact everywhere and it's one thing I love to talk about lead generation, just going sideways for a second, do a little burnout, a little skip. Yeah, <laughs> just talking about um, non-ideal clients. The, you know, the lead generation, lead generation never stops. Lead generation continues forever. It is an ongoing process. You never get to a point where you've acquired as many leads as you need. If you've got as much work as you can handle, maybe you just need more staff. But on that, every single business owner out there 
will be no doubt, they'll no doubt have a bottom 10 or 15% of clients. No doubt. <laughs> you know, you always know, ask that question, you go, oh yeah, I've got Jimmy and Susie and this commercial place and that, non-ideal clients, right? We've got to be always dropping our 10, 15% non-ideals and attracting that top 10, 15% ideal. But you've got to know and recognize the ideals out there because that scarcity mindset will make you hold on to something that's in fact detrimental to your business yeah, and your life. Yeah. And when I say business and life, they're so intrinsically linked, right? A successful business provides ample finances for your family. A, a business with a scarcity mentality, non-ideal client, you can be getting non-ideal working for non-ideal prices and then going, oh, where's the, I've got a cash flow issue. You don't have a cash flow issue. You've got a cash issue. There was no cash coming in, yeah. in the first place. First place. You had that yeah. mindset just to take what you got and what you got wasn't good, but you couldn't see another option. And that's relating in a lack of money coming downstream into you and your family and your future, which is actually very confronting. Yeah, it tr transcends all aspects of life there. Because if you're in that scarcity mindset, you look at how those people panic by that. They're acting in a manic state. There's not a lot of logical decision-making that goes into that or directional planning. It's just really reactive. And if you're running a business like that, and you know, I'm sure you can experience, like you've gone through experiences in the past where this has happened, and then you're like, hold on a second, what am I doing? Who's that? Like you had that moment of like the penny drops. So it goes, why am I doing this? And it's not because you chose to do it, but you got caught up in the emotion of it, and you found yourself, you know, existing with this scarcity mindset instead of an abundance mindset. And this is going to relate this back to a couple of stories here, but the job that's in front of you, just because a job lands in your lap doesn't mean it's right. Okay, let, let me go here for a sec. So uh, a couple of years ago, we were pretty quiet and going through a quiet spell and a job came into our lap and the rough end was right around the time we were looking a bit quiet. It was like, it's great. How came up with the price, set the price, and they're like, oh, we can do it. Uh, <laughs> you know, we can do it, but you've got to match this price. And ended up looking at it going, oh, yeah, okay, need to fill the gap, need to fill the gap. But what, why I was acting like that was out of that fit or that scarcity or what if nothing else comes up, all this kind of stuff. Interestingly enough, long story short, the job went south, you know, south in terms of profit because the profit wasn't there to begin with and it was just an awful job, awful client, awful situation to be in. We finished the job, no dramas, no dramas there, but lost money on it. And I was like, okay, and you can sit here at the end of that and be frustrated, not at your client and not at your price, all this kind of stuff. But ultimately, it was me and the mindset that put us in that position. Why was I there in the first place? The job that fell into my lap, I would have been better looking at it going, and it's a, it's a thing you find all the time. You know, would you match this person's price? Would you do this for this? Could you or would you? And this is why we preach shopping list pricing systems in the academy it's a price per point shopping's pricing system it's a non-negotiable foundational academy 101 where it's like no I, I this is the price per point i cannot and will not drop under that because that's the point where it's not profitable so knowing your figures is critical in and around this situation but also just that mindset what was i doing in that position fear puts you in strange positions right that's it and i'm sure like um my tied in with another one of your passions, Crowley, as well, like uh, surfing. Yeah, if you go out into into the water with a mindset, there's going to be abundant good waves to surf. You get out, you get out the back, 
and you get an all right looking set come in and you take that opportunity. Yeah, but the scarcity people are just like, oh, nah, I might, I might hang on to the hang on for the for the good one. Yeah. Whereas old mates run in four waves, had great time on it. Yeah, because he knows there's an abundance of good waves coming. It's crazy the abundance. I want to highlight with the work situation, intellectual property. I know a lot of people are opposed to revealing intellectual, they won't reveal their methodology or process around a job because they're scared that someone else could grab it, right? I'm not saying that you haven't developed this intellectual property. I'm trying to think of an example here. It's come to me. Oh, yeah, this is an example. Someone we're talking to the other week said, do you charge for your advice on the phone? And I said, no. And they said, well, you should because you, uh, this, is, this is back trading talk, not coaching talk, but coaching is probably a little bit of a different space you're developing and delving into. But I do charge someone on the phone. I was like, well, you know, maybe I'll help that person's problem and solve it over the phone. That's great. That's awesome, <laughs> right? Hectic. But they had that short-term scarcity mentality that thought every single part of their time should be charged for. Mm-hmm. Right, we might get to that down in the money. But what's your thoughts on that, Kurt? So yeah, I think it's, uh, it's, it's really critical. Like you see, like a lot of successful people play the long game. Yeah, so they, they, they know that the, the value comes from long term. And uh, scarcity mindset, you, you capture what you can as fast as you can. You're not playing the long term because the abundance mindset, you sit there and you go, things will be good into the future. Things will be good in the future. So I'm going to play the long game. Um, whereas the scarcity is... I don't know what the future is. I've got to get as much as I can right now and squirrel it away from myself because maybe something devastating is going to happen. Yeah, and you're just kind of grasping for, you know, pushing that pram over to grab 10 bucks off the nearest person. <laughs> it's a horrible thing. But back to my sort of intellectual property um, situation, if clients or, you know, people we work with being scared to give away their price per point or, or another competitor, God forbid, another competitor sees my quote right and i just never got scared about that because i thought you know what it's they're my figures they're my prices it's my crew doing this job so some it's kind of irrelevant to someone else my cost operation is different to theirs my staff different to theirs my skill set different to theirs and i always just went you know what i'm 10 steps ahead of you already <laughs> no, I'm not not scared about going back to a US. If you need my information, then I'm doing something right and you're going to need it again in 10 years. But I want to highlight this specifically with a job. We uh, price per point, say, this 40 grand job, right? So price per point, 40 grand job. And I think that's really important that a client can see that how you got to the 40 grand, how you got to the 100 grand, how you got to the 200 grand. And it's not just one lump sum but it's broken up into smaller components, exactly like a, a shopping a shopping list. Like if, if you got a shopping receipt and it just said 480, you'd be like, what on earth is this? <laughs> Who would commit such a sin? And then you break it down and it says 50 bucks for this. Oh, I forgot I got those coffee beans. Oh, I forgot I got detergent. Oh, I forgot I got that 400 meter roll of glad wrap that's overpriced, you know? <laughs> but you can see how you got to it. And we had this, uh, we broke it up price per point, which I think is so important, so transparent. And it also leaves you open, and this is what I want to get to here, variations. So we had a 40 grand job and we got there via mass. We got there via smaller amounts and it put us at in and around the 40 grand range. Now the client came to add some extras, some variations, 
as they do. And the RCP change dramatically reflected ceiling plan. If you're not down with some trade terminology, some lingo, <laughs> there's a DL on the lingo. Uh, but the client added all the stuff, and I submitted an extras bill, and uh, which also on that extras bills happen before the extras are done. Yeah, that's foundational stuff. You cannot do variations or extras and then put a bill in later. That means you're spending money without their approval. That is not right, in my opinion. More on that possibly later. But here, the client changed the RCV and I submitted a variations bill for in and around the same amount, 40 grand. And the builder called me. He was like, Crowley, you, you cannot do such things, such unspeakable <laughs> evil. Like, what do you mean? And he goes, how did you get to 40 grand? This is crazy. I said, I said, no, 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 look, it's the same pricing structure. The same pricing structure you approved on the first one, you have now said this is just the same one rolled over into the variations. The quantities have every, changed. Every price is the same. The quantities have just changed. So it was now an 80 grand job. And he was like, oh, I can see that. Done. So what would have happened if I just submitted a 40 grand total and got it approved? Now, all of a sudden, i am got to prove my 40 grand again. Unprovable. Yeah. It's yeah, emotional. No amount. Yeah, it's emotional. yeah exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, there's no transparency. There's no, nowhere for the client to go. There's nowhere for the client to go, oh, if I removed 10 of these 200 items, I could get it for 38. You know, so don't be scared in around that work stuff, your intellectual property. Like people, people buy you, right? Or people buy the people that you employ to reflect you, staff. <laughs> You know, reflect this. So don't ever be scared like you're oversharing because the right people value it and the wrong people take advantage, but hopefully you're weeding those wrong people out as you go. Yeah, that's it. And I think like if you look at like the abundance mindset, like those people will make up such a small percentage as you move forward. you gotta, you got to truly believe that there is so much work out there for, for everyone. There really is. Like... When you put it that way. And like, I'd like to challenge people as well on this. If you know of competitors in your local area that produce a lower quality service than you, those clients that they're currently servicing would love your service. We don't have to generate any more work. But if there's guys out there are producing, uh, you know, poor quality or poor customer experiences for that's probably a better way to frame it. Poor customer experiences. Those customers would love your great experience. I just don't know that it exists. So, yeah, so you don't have to. You don't have to generate any more work. You just got to educate people that hey, I'm better than Joey down the road, and all of Joey's clients would much rather come work for you, come work with you. Hundred um, percent. One more thing in and around that intellectual property and that that scarcity versus abundance mindset, we used to get asked to quote a lot of new builds. And as you all know out there, sometimes the plans you get, you would be better off having a napkin with some handwriting on it. <laughs> what does this say? There's no scope. And you've got to decide and define your own scope, something that's fair and reasonable for the client and for the builder. I'm coming from an electrical background, so bear with me here. So we used to uh, define, do the quote, and then back it up with an RCP, our own RCP that, hey, this is what you're actually getting. Because some people read through your quotes and think they're jargon. They need the visualness. Visualness, is that a word? It is now. It is today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they need the visualness to look yeah. at it and go, oh, this is what I'm getting for my money. 
and we used to do our we used to do our own rcp put all the all the stuff on it and then give it to the client and i got one of my friends from a, a small town back south sydney in Cronulla, and um one of my friends you know you know everyone from the wholesaler and one of my friends called me he goes crow do you know this builder's passing out your rcp you've done <laughs> and I said, shut up. I was of course he is. So annoyed. I was so vocal, so frustrated, so enraged. Uh, I was like, what do I do? Do I, do I call him? Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? And anyway, I just realized, you know, I could be really frustrated about that or I could be thankful and go, okay, that builder showed his set of, showed his hand, showed his set of cards. And that's not someone I want to align with into the future because someone that takes my abundance mentality and turns it into scarcity, I don't care about it. They're done. You're, you're on the blacklist. You are not getting a Christmas letter from me <laughs> or my family. <laughs> you're out. You're out there. Yeah, I love that. I love that bringing out abundance. There's so much work out there and there's so much ideal work out there. And I think you have to have that baseline belief system. And it's like, no, I'm going to leave the frozen food for someone else because yeah. we're having home cooked spaghetti bolognese tonight if you don't know what i'm talking <laughs> about there's non-ideal client versus ideal non-ideal food versus ideal i love that good anything to add on the work front there Kurt? uh yeah just like obviously both you and i crow have an electrical background um but this ties into a number of different um industries as well but if you're struggling to see the abundance mentality as an electrician for example you simply just need to go out at night Everything that lights up, an electrician has connected that in some way, shape, or form. I'm just picturing uh, Mufasa. <laughs> Everything Mufasa, the yeah. light touches. <laughs> Everything the light touches. It's yours. Yeah. What about that shadowy so, place? Not that place. <laughs> <laughs> not, not that place. But everything else, the light touches. Anything that lights up or connects to the grid in whatever way, an electrician has been involved in some way, shape, or form in facilitating that. Yeah, now, if that just doesn't blow your mind as to how much electrical work there is, it's I don't know what will. Yeah, go out at night and look at what is connected to the grid. Um, as far as plumbers go, same thing. You look at the infrastructure around plumbing and drainage. It's immense. It is everywhere. You know, like as a as a consumer, I probably use, you know, plumbing and electrical, hundreds of times a day. I don't go to the toilet 100 times a day, but I might flick a light switch on 50. Drink enough might... tea to go to the toilet 100 times a day. I don't come at my tea habit, right? Uh, but if you're a mechanic, right? If you're a mechanic and you want to really channel that abundance mindset, go and sit in peak hour traffic. Look at how many cars there are on the road and ask yourself, how many of those are my servicing? There's heaps out there. There's heaps out there. It's, um, it's just flashback to a mechanic. We recently bought a 60 series Land Cruiser and I got a rego check. Coming from Queensland, New South Wales, you've got to get a blue slip, what we call it here in New South Wales. Queensland's a, I don't know, RWT or some stupid thing. They've got it backwards up there. <laughs> I'm not sure. You, but you really just can't trust those Queensland. You can't trust those guys one bit. <laughs> But New South Wales people, yeah, you can trust them. Trust them with love. Trust them with love. But uh, so anyway, went to the mechanic and he just, he told me all the stuff that was wrong with it. And I could not get a quote out of him to fix it. I just could I was like, well, can, you, can we do it? He's like, oh, it's going to be so much money. I'm like, well, how much? Just, just 
just do it. And I'm still waiting on the quote five weeks later. I've had the job done by someone else. <laughs> and I'm still waiting on a quote. So, so much of our lack, sometimes our scarcity mentality, we haven't actually been diligent with the work that's coming in. I want to encourage everyone, ongoing maintenance contracts, um, all the yearly testing and, and everything that needs to be done everywhere, whether you're a builder, carpenter, plumber, electrician, tiler, I'm sure every industry presents its own opportunities uh, Opportunities in that. Are you grabbing it, right? Or are you have that scarcity mentality in and around your time? I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. Something needs to give and something needs to change because if you don't provide that thorough, excellent product, it's not that far-fetched that someone's going to come around the corner and do it and you'll be pushed to the curb, as Nelly Potato would say. I'm not sure if she says that. I reckon somewhere we'll dig that up. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, let's talk about um, an abundance mindset when it comes to stuff. stuff. Why is this I important? Like, I like this. I, I think it's interesting because... You hear an abundance mentality in terms of staff in this day and age, in this time, right? And you just think, no, nah, can't do it. So frame it up for us. Hit us with right. your... Uh, okay, so frame. let's look at... Uh, firstly, it's easier to, uh, to articulate the problems with a scarcity mindset around stuff. Okay, so let's look at some of the things that have come up recently with a scarcity mindset around stuff. Labor market is pretty dry current climate, but there's still people out there. Yeah, But people who think that the market's dry and, and subscribe to this, hey, I'm never going to find anyone, they might hold on to an underperforming staff member for longer than they should. Well, now we're talking. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Because I want you to say that again because there's going to be people that can brush past that in the car, you're driving, you're listening to it at night, you're doing the dishes, just put the kids down, I don't know. Say that again, because we've all done it. And as business owners, we're all guilty of this. Say it again. So with a scarcity mindset, you may hold on to an underperforming staff member longer than you should. Yeah, and that can have massively detrimental impact to your business. Massively detrimental. The wrong person in your organization can be undoing years and years of hard work for you. Yeah. Um, I've got, just, there's hundreds of examples that I know of where business owners have lost clients, really long-term high-value clients, because they kept a toxic member of their staff for too long. And that toxic member of their staff ground away at this client and the client's like, I don't want to deal with this business anymore because of that person. Yeah, you know what? Good clients don't leave overnight. If a good or great client has gone, it's been 12 months, but 6, 12, 18 months in the process. Yeah. It's, it's actually holding on to a poor performing staff member is that scarce. I won't find anyone else. That's it. You know, I, 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 what if I don't find anyone else? Or, and I would argue this point and say that what's worse than having no staff or what's worse than being staff poor, you know, in terms of not enough staff, having the wrong staff. Yeah. That's much worse than having not enough staff. Having the wrong staff is much worse than having not enough staff. But when you're holding on to the wrong staff, first and foremost is some work still getting done, albeit average, still getting done. So you're not kind of exposed to the reality that there's a big issue there. 
you know, and then someone else could be doing that work. But we've got to let go of those poor performing staff members. And when I say let go is probably a really tough thing to say. I would always argue in the let go stage, that's potentially last resort. Most business owners just bottle it up. I'll just bottle it up. You know, I'll just, you know, they, they turn up at 710, I'll bottle it up. They, they do something wrong, yeah. I'll bottle it up. They do something else, they bottle it up. And then God forbid the one time they don't answer my call at six o'clock on a Friday, I lose it. And what happened? I just bottled it up so much that it exploded. And now I've fired them when really, I needed to have some clear-cut expectations of what was required for them. I needed to have some KPIs. I needed to have some confronting talks. I needed to have uh, in and around all this stuff um, just, just going, okay, was it my issue? You know, <laughs> like did, did I do everything I could to make sure they were a high-performing staff member? But, yeah, holding on a dead weight. Um, what would you say to someone, Kirk? Someone's got, I know there's people listening here, and they've got that dead weight in their company. Could be an admin staff, could be a field staff. What are you, what are you saying? Yeah, I guess. Um, firstly, where's your head at? Yeah, because create. If you have an abundance mindset around staff, you won't tolerate underperforming for a long, long period of time because you'll be like, "Hey, I think there's someone better from our organization out there. I'm going to go find them." Yeah. So, firstly, where, where's your head at? And then look at like other spaces in society that do this um, relatively well. Yeah, is typically speaking, if a little bit of competition gets the most out of people. Yeah, so are you creating an environment where, you know, you're trying to drive your performance up? You know, what, where I'm going here is like, if you look at like elite sporting teams, for example, how long can you underperform on an elite I, sporting I just shocked it took you half an hour to get into elite to get sporting sport. teams. <laughs> That's a three-minute threshold max. Anyway, look at elite sporting teams. Go, go. Yeah, how, how long can you how long can you exist in an elite sporting team while under underperforming? Yeah, not a great deal. Sure, they're going to try their best to get you performing where you need to perform to maintain that, but they're going to be on the lookout for talent because if they can bring a superstar in to replace you, they will. And how are you going to know if there's any superstars if you've got this scarcity mindset around, oh, it's too hard to hire. I had a guy come to me last week. He's like, I'm, I'm incredibly busy. I just can't keep up. And I went, went through the numbers and I was like, yeah, look, looks like you have a resource issue. Like you need an extra staff member. Like on paper, this will help a number of your critical problems right now. Yeah, Getting an extra resource into your team. Response was, oh, man, like that's going to be impossible. Like I've got mates that are trying to hire. They've been trying to hire for ages and like just haven't, haven't a, there's just no one there. I'm like, well, that's a good start. Yeah. So you've ruled out hiring because your mate found it hard to hire. So where's the pathway forward then? Do you want to cull all these clients and tell them to go elsewhere, reduce your earning capacity and go back to you know, just getting enough to survive? Or do you want to really lean into that and go, actually, I think there's heaps of people out there that would be great at my job. Let me go find them. Yeah. So do, do you believe... Um your company is worth working for, <laughs> you know? And it's, yeah. it's that, I mean, I think we all started small businesses to, to not be an absolute tool of a boss, but to be good bosses. And the world and community needs good small businesses. 
Why? Because they employ locals. They uh, treat people with respect because they're in small communities. They reinvest back in um, the sporting teams, the pub, like whatever, those local community kind of grassroots stuff. Uh, you said elite sporting teams before, Kirk, and I want to highlight this too because elite sporting teams, you take someone, I'm just going to, name, I'm just going to say their name, I love these guys, the Melbourne Storm, NRL franchise, they are absolutely incredible at making average players great. Yep. And I think you've got to ask yourself the question as a business owner, are you making average players great or are you making great players average? Mm-hmm. And that the crazy thing is this isn't this isn't doesn't fall on your shoulders as something else to do because the process guides the people. So if you've got good systems and good structures and good processes in place and you're running a weekly staff meeting to emphasise good culture and reinforce good but also reinforce what's not acceptable and you've got these uh, play-by-play, step-by-step, hey, this is how you communicate this on site. This is how this variation gets communicated. This is how this happens. This is the workflow for this. This is going on here. At the end of the day, this needs to happen. At the start of the day, this needs to happen. The van needs this stock in there. All this kind of stuff is process. And the process guides the people. And is your business at the moment making average people great? It's a big question. And if it's not, that's okay, but it needs to. It has to because they're not all superstars out there. As two superstars, we we can judge. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Yeah. (laughs) The abundance comes from the, the volume. Yeah. Let's be real. There's not an abundance of superstars. But there's an abundance of talent that can play at a superstar level given the right structure and performance. In that role, right? Not everyone's a halfback, not everyone's a quarterback, not everyone's a striker, not everyone's what do they call it, an ice hockey? Just trying to be relevant here. Yeah, that's the hitter. Hitter. The stopper. (laughs) Whatever. But not everyone's going to wow you, but in a group setting, they might just. Absolutely. And so often I want to encourage that with everyone listening in, you have to have the ability to make the average people great and the great people excellent and the good people great. And it's in the one percenters, as we know, all that stuff. But you've got to be having those star things. You've got to let go of that dead weight. There is dead weight. And Kirk, in the dead weight front, because I, I hope, I know Mitch, one of our other peak performer coaches, is ropeable when everyone's first reaction their initial response is that fire fire like yeah. Donald Trump, fire, you're yeah. fired you're yeah. fired everyone's fired you're fired too actually you're fired as well all of a sudden you've got no one at what point uh at what point do you do you work on someone do you have those staff meetings do you have those one-on-ones do you at what point do you release the deadwood into the wild yeah i think um really good point and firing too fast there's an old saying in hr yeah, hire slow, fire fast, but it's it's very costly hiring people. Yeah, so we got to get to a we got to get to a cost analysis here where it's becoming more costly to keep the person than it is to release the person, and I think that that becomes the tipping point. Um, of course, we would love to develop and work on their skills or their issues so that they become a great performer within our organization. And I think the important thing here is firstly identify poor performance. So many people don't. <laughs> They're just like, oh, business is hard. And I'm like, well, how are you, how are you, how are you guys going? Oh, I don't know. They go, all right. 
you look at it and you're like, actually, you guys go awful. <laughs> you really need to set some KPIs so that we know how they're actually going to perf- like what the expectation is and where they think they should be performing versus what they are producing. So firstly, you need to know. And then once they fall below a certain KPI level, then we need to have a, a very clear transitioning plan. What do we do next to bring them up to a certain skill level? And then what happens when that is achieved? And what happens when that is not achieved? And I think um, dead wood is a, is a term that gets thrown around a bit. Yeah, the, the dead wood. Um, but for me, it's, it's more about identifying and removing toxic people because they'll do more damage than a piece of dead wood ever will. So sometimes they can look like on the surface that everything's fine, but as a person underneath there, they're, they're eroding what you're trying to build from the inside out. That's yeah, really scary. Ad, I was always massive at my time of helm, 13 years in a Sydney-based trade company. I was always so big on a lack of gossip. I'm like, no one gossip. No one make fun of anyone. No one do anything. Because that kind of culture is toxic to be around. And you've got guys talking about, you know, it's funny because sometimes we give someone a pay rise and then they go on, to, Joey goes and tells Jimmy, Jimmy tells Susie. One person tells one person is the usual rule in life. You know, you tell someone that you're pregnant and they just go and tell someone. <laughs> it's not their news to tell. But here's, here's the big thing. Were they communicated to, did they know that it wasn't their news to share? So when Jimmy got the $5 an hour pay rise, you go, hey, look, I can give that to you, but this is really not to be discussed. This is just between me and you and you have to pass this on. Hey, when this happened, hey, this is not to go forth. Is there clear roles and structures and systems for your staff to operate in? Was there something that said, hey, we don't make fun of our high-value pots? Hey, we don't, we don't impersonate anyone. We don't speak poorly of people. We don't talk about gross things on site. We don't on our phones. Are there policies for all these things? Because if there's not, and you're leaving people up to their own devices to decide, they will err on the side of what they think is right. But what they think is right might not be what you think is right and the business thinks it's right. And every business has traits. Business is like a person in a way. It's got its character traits. It's got its nuances. It's got its, oh, those people are awesome at roughing. Oh, that company's awesome at this. Oh, those guys are great at communication. Talking about a business, like it's a person, you know? So it's really important we protect the values we hold dear and challenge ourselves to go, okay, is it it my fault? Is a staff member not thriving because the, the, the top dogs let... The other dog's down, you know. But I want to highlight something in the academy we're massive on is knowing your numbers, knowing your figures, having those KPIs sort of like a daily rate, a weekly rate, a monthly rate. And I know you guys, Kirk, that response are absolute non-negotiable. The month has been signed off. So we've just gone through February. So February gets signed off. Who got paid? What money came in? What money come out? To the cents. So you can know if any micro changes or changes or macro changes or big changes need, need to happen. And so often the general consensus in and around trades is that you push really hard as a one-man band, one-woman band, and you get to the end of the year thinking you made 120 and you made 60. Mm. And then if you think that's going to change when you get staff, it's not because staff just exaggerate the issues that already work. If you're running around like a headless job, they will think they can run around like a headless job. If things you don't consider to be important, they will consider those things not to be important. And this is the reason why you see people with three, four, five, six staff going backwards. And then they say things like, oh, you know, it's, it's, 
well, I was making more money when I was by myself. Yeah. But yeah, you were yeah. because the process and system and structure was wrong. And, and you hadn't calculated your cost operations. You didn't know your price per hour. You didn't calculate it. You just guided it. At what point do you guys, uh, oh, sorry, how often do you guys look at the figures and stuff in response? And what would you encourage? Oh, we are 100% non-negotiable on closing the month. But we will get updates like probably, you know, we're probably like seven to 10 days, real, real solid read on all the numbers, like where all the guys are at, where our financials are at. And then come close of month, we really reflect on that. And we, um, we go through a whole heap of KPIs and we, we rank our staff based off their performance in those KPIs. And uh, I know some people, like we don't share that ranking, but I know some people are against, you know, sort of glorifying and, you know, someone sits at the bottom of the table, but that helps us identify who needs the most work. Yeah. Yeah. Who needs the most help, right? Yeah. Yeah. I could put the same effort and help into that bottom person. I'd give them four hours a week, for example. And I could turn, I could turn them from 60% efficient to 85% efficient. But if I put four hours into one of our top guys who goes at 98% efficient, I might be able to take him from 98 to 102 less impact for my bang for my buck. Yeah. So we want to bring that, bring that skill level up. But if you've got an abundance mindset around staff as well, you'll see opportunities to bring talent in. Yeah. You'll be looking for talent. You'll be like, Hey, you actually would fit our team. Awesome. But if you're closed off to that and go, no one's, no one's looking for a job. No one's looking for a job. The best person for your job is already employed. This is so good. It's so true, isn't it? I mean, why would people be employed? Yeah, exactly. So, like, you've got to be able to talk to them. Honestly, like, your ideal client has your trade already. Yeah, already has has your service covered. Does that mean we just don't go there? (laughs) Yeah, hard grind. Hard grind finding clients that if we only ever worked for clients that didn't have a provider already. Yeah, same with staff. Yeah, same with stuff. And also the abundance mentality in terms of your business. So, so many people timestamp their business on where it's currently at, but I want to encourage everyone to embrace some vision, right? Why can't your business be the forefront of your community? Why can't you be leading the charge, whether what's your, whatever your passion is, whether it's volunteering or providing the best service or whatever, why can't you be leading the charge financially, leading the charge with the van fleet? So when people come into your staff, when people come to, I like to put everything to the barbecue test, right? So if you're at a barbecue and you've had one or two coffees and you're sitting there and you're like, oh, man, business sucks. Reconciling sucks. This sucks. This sucks. This stinks. I can't believe that. Who wants to work for that guy or girl? Not me. But if you're there and you go, you know what? We're here now, but in five years' time, we're going to have operations managers. We're going to have this. We're going to have this structure. We've got this. We want our staff members to be thriving. I want to see them have two weeks paid leave, Parental leave. I want to see him go on a family holiday at our expense. I want to see him thriving in every single aspect. I want to see a financial planner come into our apprentices and by the time they're 45, have two units paid off to set it themselves. Like if you're speaking like that, who doesn't want to work for that person? Because well, they buy I, into your, your dream. They're like, hey, I want to, I want to go there with you. I want that too. And yeah. I often say this, but if you when you did your apprenticeship, if you were so well looked after so well nurtured and finished your time getting paid maybe a little bit over what you thought was, you know, achievable or possible or anything, you probably would have stayed. 
and given the best part of your working life to someone else. So what I'm trying to say is if we look after and nurture our staff correctly and we've got the right culture, the right culture attracts the right people. People should want to come and work for your company. People should be asking you, hey, how do I get a job with you? How do I come over here? My boss isn't looking after you. I want to come over here. That's what kind of culture you should be sort of producing and that will attract the right people. So you've got to, you've got to get some vision and really look after the people that look after you that are performing the work that's staff. So cracking that. Love it. Um, let's just close out today's little uh, chat on abundance, Crowy, with how important is it to have a, an abundance mindset when it comes to like your financial position or, or money as a whole? Ooh, touchy subject, the money subject. The M word, M-word. mother-in-law and money. <laughs> the M words. Yeah, look, this is crazy because... If you've got a scarcity, a scarcity mindset bring brings in and holds tight, doesn't it? You know, like I'll take the frozen food and I've got it in my hands in case my family need it. So the scarcity mentality in regards to employing other trades, and maybe it's your first hire or second hire or tenth hire or whatever, it holds on to it and says, I'm gonna keep this two thousand dollars a week, not knowing that that two thousand could be four thousand a week if it was released. Also, the scarcity mindset with money, it just it, it holds on when you need to let go. There's got to be an element of business. They call it sweat equity, where you're, you're pouring your sweat into it, where it's time, money, materials, whatever, to get it moving. And it requires additional effort. Your business is going to require money. Take a job management system, for instance. It would save someone $10,000. Or say save someone, sorry, two hours a week, right? Uh, let's just say average everyone out at 100 bucks an hour, that is 200 bucks a week, that's 10 grand a year. So someone's not paying because they want to hold on to their $3,000 to invest in a job management system, but that 3,000 could save them $10,000 a year. Someone won't pay for a company registration who's a sole trader, but they own a house. So the house is exposed if something goes wrong. They won't pay two or $3,000 to protect their $500,000 or million dollar asset. So it's the risk versus reward curve that you always talk about. At what point um, do you need to release and let go? That's it. And you've got, you've got to trust that, like, I guess the, the abundance mindset has the, the overall belief in the future to be optimistic. Yeah. Like, I will make more money. Yeah. Well, this is a good space for us to, yeah, I'll find more clients. I'll get more work on. I'll get more staff and I'll make more money to facilitate this growth. Yeah. Yeah. mindset if you think everyone has a lot of money just try that on for a second just imagine just think that everyone has a lot of money how important is your price now not so important it's about delivering value which is where i think you should all sit yeah you always focus on value not on price but if you think that if you have a real scarcity around money let's just say you don't have a lot of money right now and um things are tight you project that onto your potential client and you might make up decisions for your client or you might withhold certain things and you pigeonhole this client in a particular financial position. Like I'm not going to talk to them about this potential uh, upgrade because I don't think they can afford it. I don't think they'd be interested. Exact thing happened to me with the mechanics. Sorry, I was sharing. Yeah. Oh, he, said, <laughs> he, said, he said, it's going to cost a lot of money. And I said, how much? He goes, mate, 
so much money. Like, what is, what is that? What is it? Exactly. Give, give me a price, exactly. man. What is yeah. it? And, and he's so much. And I'm like, what? He goes, two days labor and some materials, $2,000. And I'm not belittling $2,000 here, um, but it's not a lot of money to me personally. So if, some, if there's a point where you can project 5000 look, you've got to admit, the elephant in the room is that a million dollars isn't a lot of money to some people or 100000 yeah or 200,000 or 50,000. What might be a lot to you might be not much to someone else. So don't project our view and our perception of money onto other people. The job is what it costs. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't neglect projecting. Don't project what you feel is right or wrong onto other people. It's not your decision. You can't make them go through the work. All you can do is put in front of them what it costs. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Um, and detaching from that. And thinking, and if you if you have an abundance mindset, you'll deliver price more confidently. You'll get to that point. Like imagine if that mechanic had this massive abundance mindset because he was comfortable and he thought that everyone had enough money. He would have just said, Chloe, look, I can get that fixed up for you. It's going to cost you that two grand or something like that, around about that. But I can get it fixed up next week. Yeah, do I just want to leave it with me now and I'll get cracking on it? You're just like, sweet, man. Thanks for inspiring me with a lot of confidence that this is a good good way to spend $2,000 because he didn't make it out to be a big deal. We yeah. did. I would have left it. Yeah. <laughs> like, of course I would have. It needs to be fixed. It has to be yeah. done. Um, another thing with the, with the money is I hear a lot. Uh, I've talked to new guys and it's a defense mechanism for a lot of people, but they use this vocabulary around I didn't start my business to become a millionaire. Oh, I know you're passionate about this one. <laughs> I'm like, why not? Yeah, I get it. I get it. Psychologically, it's a defense mechanism to protect against failure. So that if you don't, you don't feel so bad. Okay, so that's, that's the reason why most people gravitate to a phrase like that. But we have to crush that primarily because a million bucks doesn't buy you much anymore. Doesn't so, you uh, think of Dr. Evil? He <laughs> million dollars. And it's like, you're just laughing at him? It's not yeah, exactly. really that much money anymore. It probably, it, it can't even, it definitely can't buy you a house in a, uh, in a suburb you like, probably. Maybe it yeah. can, but it's be close. But when I say suburb you like, I mean capital city suburb. That would be a better way to phrase that. But it's not a lot of money now. Why, why not? Why not you? Why can't you be the millionaire? If you're providing a good product and you're providing good staff to deliver that good product, why not? And why you truly you? believe that there's heaps of work and heaps of staff, then yeah. that should really just, the domino should really fall into place there. If you have an abundance around, money's mindset around work, around staff, then naturally that should fall into money. So for me, when I hear that, it's it's concerns me a little bit because somewhere along that chain they feel like there's a scarcity in one yeah, of those not, not enough for them or even like exactly what you said before that that scarcity mindset can potentially even be relatable to what you can do with your life you know if if i'm like oh far if i don't dream big enough i'll never be crushed <laughs> you know, that, that kind of thing. Oh, you know, I, I don't have any goals because then I feel like I've achieved something or I've got nothing to miss. So we're encouraging one. You can do so much more with your life than what you think, but your business can be that asset that you always hoped it to be. Your business can deliver money when you're not there. Your business can deliver money when you're there. Your business can deliver money when you're on holidays. Your business can deliver money to your family for generations to come. 
if you will just embrace the asset mindset and embrace that kind of mindset and say, hey, why not me? Why can't I have the best team? Why can't I have the best clients? Why can't I earn good money? You can earn some amazing money as a tradesman if you handle it right. And we sit in that space to help people take people's business and their dreams from sort of a, a pie in the sky to a reality. And we see it time and again, don't we? Yeah, I, all the time. And I guess if, if you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, that has been me. Like I've tried it for years and I haven't got it to work. Just because it hasn't worked yet doesn't mean it's not going to work. Yeah, maybe you need a little help or guidance around some some key levers to really unlock that abundance that's that's out there that, that can be capitalized upon because there really is so much. Yeah, and I think trades businesses um, like globally, yeah, they're primed to to make to be great wealth generating vessels. They really are. You just got to you you got to get in the right headspace to make the most of it. If you think it's going to be hard, it's going to be really hard. I'm not going to lie to you. It's not going to be an easy run. But if you if you have this negative headspace around what business is going to be, then it's going to manifest into that. Yeah, and I would encourage everyone what you should sort of be earning. This is my opinion only. Think about what you would earn top dollar for someone else and double it. So if you can walk into someone, yeah, if you can walk into someone as a general tradie and earn 100 grand, you should be earning 200 working for yourself. If you're an elite level person in the office earning 200, put it at 400, right? That's kind of like there's no limit, right? Because here's the thing. You've got to challenge your mindset of what you're worth and you've got to deliver what you're worth the workload. Yeah, but you've also got to get paid for that. But there's no limit to what you can earn because it's scalable by staff and staff by hours. So think about this. As one person, I can deliver, let's just say, 40 hours a week. I just do 40 hours a week. That's 40 hours of work. But if I've got 10 staff, they can deliver 400 hours. If we've got 20 staff, 800 hours, and so on and so on. The scaling effect continues. So what do you need to get the freedom, get that time and that money you so you started the business for? The freedom you work backwards. For the freedom, you need more work. For the work, you need more staff. And you need to get those leads conversions. So everything you do happens. Leads turn into conversions. Conversions turn into work. Work turns into more staff. More staff turns into more freedom. But don't limit it to what you can do or what you can see now. You just see something in the future, just go for it. You need to tap into your inner potential and your business's potential as well. Brilliant stuff. Yeah, I just uh, rounded out by asking yourself, yeah, to, like, am I running my business with this sort of scarcity mindset? Am I panic buying at the supermarket right now? Am I taking what's in front of me? Like really manic really manic sort of stuff am i rushed am i am i under a lot of like overwhelm and time pressure am i just doing the first thing that comes to me because the success of your business is reliant on you getting out of that space yeah there's no there's no way through that okay you'll get stuck on the hamster wheel so we've got to get you out of that space seeing the bigger picture really appreciating the abundance in work and staff because those, that work and stuff are those two primary drivers that Crow was just talking about there that are going to drive your business to a point where it becomes an asset for you and gives you back that freedom to do with what you want. Freedom. <laughs> Money and time to acquire all the rare comics that you can find, for example.
May we sign off with Dr. Evil. One <laughs> million dollars. Great. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Thank guys. And tune in again. I'm sure there's another podcast coming up next. There probably is. Listen to that one too. <laughs> All right. All right. Peace. So if you're loving the podcast, please share with your friends, anyone that's thinking about starting a tradie business or got a large tradie business. We help everyone from startup all the way up to million dollar plus months. We'd love to help you too. And lastly, it would mean a lot if you could leave a review on the player that you're listening to this on. It helps us get out there and help more tradies in business perform better and create better lives for themselves. <laughs>